Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Whoops, hello there. Welcome to the show. It's Friday. I don't know, do any of you have this sense of accomplishment when you, <laughs> you get yourself to Friday? Whew. Yeah. Anyway, here we are. And uh, I'm grateful for your presence. Uh, I don't know. I am going uh, going to continue. The uh, Great Orange One is doing a news conference now, crowing about the growth in um, the economy, which this quarter is at 4.1. You know, uh, the growth in the economy was uh, higher than that four times in Barack Obama's tenure, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, I do not recall that when uh, these economic growth numbers, quarterly numbers would come out, if they were uh, good, uh, that President Obama would immediately call in a press conference and crow about it. I I have no recollection of that at all. Just, again, reminding you. Um, whatever. Bigger. Um... In my continuing uh, efforts to uh, keep my head, um, I watched an old movie yesterday. I just want to, I'm sorry, I'm still thinking about it. I don't know why. How do some movies just grab you, stay with you, and you can literally watch them over and over and over again and still find them delightful? Um, I've probably seen this movie, I don't know, easily over ten times, probably more than that. And I watched it again last night, and I just, I love this movie. I laugh. I almost cry. <laughs> but mostly I laugh. God, I think it's a wonderful movie. It is. I don't know when it was made. Maybe in the 70s? 70s, maybe? Um And it was a remake of a movie that was made maybe in the 40s? I li listen. What do I know? Um, the, I don't know if the the, the re it was m called the same. Anyway, the movie is Heaven Can Wait. I think, yeah. Uh, starring Warren Beatty as a L.A. Rams quarterback, and Julie Christie as a uh, an environmental activist trying to save her little village in Scotland. And uh, it's just wonderful. Di Diane Cannon and uh, Charles Grodin, uh, Pittsburgh's own, as I was saying yesterday, we always like, we claim people. Uh, Diane Cannon and Charles Grodin are hysterical in this. Hysterical. Um, I just love it. Jack Warden, remember him? Buck Henry. Anyway, that's a good movie. I'm doing good movies. You know, that's a that's a almost two hour respite, and uh, I do recommend it. I also uh, received in the mail yesterday the um, uh, a book that is not coming out until uh, September. Um, I have what's called a, a review copy. And uh, the author of this book is uh, slated to be on the program next month. Uh, she's been on this show before. She's a friend and an incredible writer, uh, Jean Marie Laskus. And I've talked somewhat, I think, about this book, but boy, it's a beaut. And uh, it is a book that uh, 
takes an article that she wrote for the New York Times uh, Sunday Magazine and uh, inflates it beautifully uh, into a book about letters that were sent to President Obama during his uh, tenure in the White House and the White House office that he specially created uh, to ensure that each and every one of those letters from uh, American citizens were read, responded to, and that every night before he went to bed, that office would make sure, I'm being told they can barely hear me on YouTube. I don't know if that's our problem. I don't know if that's our problem. Sorry. Have you heard of a volume control? I don't know. Anyway, um, so before he went to bed every night, I think we can be assured that the current uh, occupant of the White House does not uh, bother himself with uh, such things. But before he went to bed every night, the last thing he did was read 10 letters, Obama did, of sent to him from Americans. They could either be cries for help or angry or thank you or whatever. And uh, Jean Marie has put this marvelous book together of not just letters, but of course the presidential responses and then has um, done uh, interviews with uh, President Obama. And I the book is just wondrous. And I think the kind of book that <laughs> it'll be hard to, to read it without crying a lot, I suppose, at, at what we had and uh, what's been lost to us in many ways. So, uh, that's another great way to kind of get away. Um, and uh, Jean will be coming by, um, I think, the first week in August, and I'll check my book. But that'll, that, that's bound to be a, a, a great interview. Um, okay. Oh, where to start? Oh, I don't know. Listen, a are you in the, um, anybody want to buy a, I know a lot of you are thinking, you know, if these midterms don't go well, and uh, God forbid if uh, this president is reelected somehow, um, there people are eyeing the n Canada. I there is a home for sale up there that you might want to consider. You know how I I tell you about the this uh, Friday section of the Wall Street Journal, which just makes me crazy. Um, they have a section that's actually called Mansion. And in it, you see how the rich live. And um, the I mean, it, it is just, y y we were talking y was it yesterday or the day before about, uh, you know, the chasm between the haves and the have-nots and the the wretched excess of the great wealth that is concentrated in so few hands in this country. And so this whole section, it shows you these homes. <laughs> and unabashedly so, you know, it's just like, hey, look at this. And and I guess, what is it? We're supposed to, people are supposed to read it and get envious? Uh, or uh, aspire? Or as I do, wretch. I, I I don't know. I don't know. That's always my my reaction, and and I have in my lifetime uh, found myself in some pretty remarkable uh, abodes. Um, anyway, there is a house for sale in Canada. Actually, it's listed as a castle in Quebec. <laughs> um, I got a picture of it here. It doesn't look like a castle. It looks like a, it, it's like a, a grandiose chalet. Yeah, you see that? Okay. 
There's plenty of room for everybody. Uh, lots of bedrooms. Hang on. 50 uh, rooms. It over is uh, on the flank of uh, Mount Tremblant, which is a ski resort overlooking Lake Tremblant. And uh, 17 fireplaces, which, you know, gets chilly up there. And uh, a home theater, a pool, a spa, a gym, a wine cellar, a totally different uh, guest house for you if you want. Because, you know, with 50 rooms, they can't quite uh, necessarily uh, pack you all in there for Thanksgiving. So large outdoor terrace, obviously, swimming pool, all this other stuff, yeah. Anyway, um... I've left out the big, uh, the big reveal here. Mario Lemieux is the seller. This is his Quebec mansion. Okay. Apparently, he and uh, Natalie don't uh, necessarily need it anymore, or desire it, or who the hell knows. Anyway, there it is. You can, um, if you got the change. Mario's house is for sale. Uh, here's the asking price. Sit down. You know, you can't live like this, uh, you know, without some some cash. Uh, the exact asking price is twenty-one million nine hundred ninety-nine thousand. Sixty-six dollars. <laughs> um, the sixty-six dollars is uh, obviously a whimsical uh, reference uh, to uh, Mario's uh, jersey number. Uh, so there it ha there it is. Uh, the property is named Fleur de Lis, and uh, that's it. So. I don't know why they're selling it. It doesn't uh, doesn't say. The uh, median price of a home in the area is two hundred sixty-five thousand. <laughs> so, if you buy Mario's uh, little chalet, uh, you'll be uh, definitely I, guess, I think the living in the biggest house on in town. Okay. I just happen, you know, I always page through Mansion. And, it, it, you know, every once in a while you bump into somebody in Mansion that you actually sort of know, a passingly, and uh, and like, and you hate to see him there. <laughs> there he is. He earned his money. Happy for him. It's a good man. Okay. Um, I came across uh, this on uh, Twitter, which I am not looking at as much as I used to. And this is one of those little stats that comes from a piece in the Atlantic that um, I don't know if it shocks me or not. I, 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 you know, America is a, a very conservative uh, country and I think always has been, which is one of the reasons folks like us are are always moaning and groaning. Um, but this article in the Atlantic says something that, I, I, I mean, I'm just, this is again, polling Americans uh, about how they feel about things. And I'm just, it's not a big deal, or maybe it is. It's just indicative of um, how traditional most people are and how difficult it is to change, to move things forward. Now, obviously, it's difficult because what we consider moving things, moving forward, is considered, um, you know, an uh, an outrage, uh, an an aggression, a uh, a heading into uh, you know the depths of hell by a lot of our country folk. So here, this is simply this. Uh, 72%, that's a big number, of uh, American adults all agree on this. 
72%. So we'll round that up to three quarters of American adults think that a woman should give up her name when she gets married. I'm startled by that. 72%? And to top it off, half of Americans believe that that should be not a choice, but a legal requirement. That when a woman marries, she literally loses her identity that which she has been and assumes the identity of her husband's family. Now, need I point out how grounded in kind of, I don't know, uh, medieval and feudal and, uh, and property rights and all kinds of like stuff that I thought maybe we had gotten beyond I mean it goes back to the, all of the, the, these kind of you know wedding traditions the father giving <laughs> the his daughter to her husband the daughter being nothing more than property chattel that is given you know, who gives this woman to I do, says the pater, familius. And in so doing, the father uh, gives uh, his daughter and uh, loses, literally, uh, a member of his family, and is she then enters an entirely different uh, family line. Um, I mean, I just find, I, I understand that it's easier if uh, a married couple possesses one name. <laughs> I mean, it's easier for who? People who keep uh, books. I don't know who, you know. I, but, and, and I, this is one of those things that I don't expect men to comprehend because you'll never experience this. I mean, I know, I know a few men who, upon marriage, have melded, have lost their names as well, in that they've melded their name uh, with their wives' names, you know, and uh, it's a hyphenated thing. But um, the fact that 50% of Americans think that a woman should be forced to lose her name upon marriage... Of course, none of this all begs the question of, so what do gay people marry when they marry? What do they do? If these people are so adamant about this name stuff, could they possibly be in favor of gay marriage? Because that must make their heads explode. I, I just... And you know, the, the reason that this freaked me out, because I really am stunned, less so... Well, I'm stunned by both numbers... 72% think that's the thing that should happen. 50 think it should be mandatory. This is America. What the hell happened to freedom? I thought that's what we were about. And, and I, I probably talked about this before, but I have to tell you, you know, here I am, Lynn Cullen. That is my married name. I lost my name upon my marriage. I'm so old that when I was married, it was very, 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 very unusual that a woman would not take her husband's name. And I, I don't know that I knew anybody who had done that. I didn't. So it didn't occur to me. Three years later, what, or maybe three, three or four years later, when my sister married, I was stunned when she didn't keep her <laughs> her maiden name. So I was right, you know, in the I was over here, and then there a lot happened in between my marriage and hers. 
Now, I, I, I have talked about this. I didn't think anything of it. It is, as all women knew, what happened. And it wasn't a choice. It wasn't even something that you, most women of a certain age and all the way back to God knows when, the prehistoric times, you didn't even think about it because it is what happened. Now, of course, there is a choice. And that's as, as it should be. It's why I'm pro-choice. I believe generally in people's ability to make their own decisions about their own lives. So, I was stunned when literally the day after my wedding, I felt such confusion, I really did, about not being who I'd been my entire life. I'd always been Lynn Miller, an insipid name to be sure. Lynn Miller, that's who I was. That's my sense of me. And she was gone. I mean, I was still here, but she was gone. And it had a... I, I wonder if there's something like postpartum depression that I, I really struggled. You think it's hard after the new year in January to get the year right on a check you might write? Try, try signing the check and you get your name wrong, right? You can get your name wrong for a long, long time because, man, if that ain't ingrained, I don't know what is. And then, of course, there is the whole sense of feeling like property. Not only do you lose who you were, but I don't know. I, it, it, it really flipped me out. And I, you know, I'm an ultra-sensitive soul, so that's... Boy, the day after my wedding, I, it was one of the more miserable days of my life. It's not surprising that... I guess the marriage didn't work. It didn't get off on a great. The day after my wedding, I woke up in this mildewed, disgusting, dark little cabin on Green Bay, which is a body of water as well the thumb of Lake Michigan, I woke up in this moldy little cabin that the family doctor had loaned to, my husband and I, in Dykesville, Wisconsin. Yep. The windows were screened, of course, and plastered with mayflies. I mean, it was like a black curtain of flies. My husband got up at an alarmingly early hour. We had probably two hours of sleep. An alarmingly early hour, I packed his lunch, and he went off to work the construction job he had scored for the summer to make money for, um, for us uh, and for law school, which he was in. And I sat out in that moldy cabin, <laughs> not knowing who I was, nursing, nursing such a pain in my jaws. I, th I, I didn't know enough to put ice on them at the time. And I didn't even know what was going on. I thought, why? Am I, I feel like I can't even open my mouth. And that was because the whole day before, I'd had this, like, ridiculous smile on my face, right? Ha, ha, ha. I was so happy, the beautiful, blushing, smiling bride. And my jaws the next day were dying. 
and I didn't know who I was. And I was in a moldy cabin in Dykesville on Green Bay with mayflies plastering the window alone. Was not a good start. Seventy-two percent of American adults think a woman should give up her maiden name. Give up her name. What does a guy have to do? That's love. Hey, guys, what if when you fell in love, you had to leave your identity, stop being who you were? Unbelievable. That's all I want to say. And it just it, it, it brought up this feeling of such confusion <laughs> that I felt sitting out there in... Dr. Milson's damn cabin. You see, back in the day, we weren't into spending lots of money uh, that we didn't have on, on weddings. Um, I just wasn't into it at all. Married in the backyard. Clearly no honeymoon, although because we didn't have anywhere to go, we, yeah, went to the cabin. And, I, and don't get me started on the absurdity of what people spend uh, getting married. That insanity. So, okay. I don't know. You gay folks, you're just going to have to figure that stuff out by yourself. I have mentioned before uh, face recognition software and uh, my great queasiness about it, uh, specifically Amazon's um, facial software, which is marketed uh, to law enforcement, I'm sure all over the globe, but we know that uh, police departments in the United States are buying it up and employing it. And my concern is that, I mean, talk about invasion of privacy. So with cameras out there now, uh, yeah, you will be able to be just a person walking down a sidewalk and there will be cameras and hooked up to computers identifying absolutely every person on the sidewalk, at, at, you know, with timestamps and everything. All of us it will be known where we were at what time. Just occurred to me that this, if you're a cheater, a cheating spouse or something, you're doomed. Because if you think detectives aren't going to be using this kind of information, so you'll be able to like be spotted exactly at a specific place without having necessarily to even be tailed because of all the cameras that are out there. And we've talked about how the Chinese are just taking this and running. And where they're heading is where we'll all head. Uh, but the uh, ACLU, not surprisingly, is very, very concerned about this stuff. And the ACLU did a little uh, experiment. They had the Amazon software, and they had photos of every member of Congress. And what they did is they put those photos up against a database of 25,000 known criminals. Okay? So the computer had and the software had access to this database of 25,000 known criminals, and members of Congress. <laughs> yeah, so, so you can make your own jokes. But the facial recognition software matched 28 members of Congress, incorrectly, of course, with a known criminal. 28 members of Congress Amazon's facial recognition software said, oh, 
He's wanted. He's wanted. He's wanted. That's a murderer. Now, here's the part that won't surprise you. Almost all of the misidentified members of Congress, misidentified by the ingenious software package that Amazon makes tons of money on, were, of course, black or brown. Those identified as criminals, <laughs> falsely, uh, were uh, in no particular order, and I don't have I don't have the whole list here, but my God, uh, Jimmy Gomez, uh, Edward Markey, who is a senator from Massachusetts, who is not, he's a white guy, Luis uh, Gutierrez, Gutierrez. John Lewis, civil rights icon, but he's a black man. John Lewis was, oh, I know him, said the software. He's wanted for rape and murder in Georgia. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Bobby Rush, another civil rights uh, hero from Chicago, also ID'd by Amazon facial software, as a uh, criminal. And quite clearly, uh, this should, I, I'm sure the ACLU being a smart outfit, figured out that the way maybe to get Congress's attention <laughs> about the use of this face, uh, soft, uh, facial recognition software was to use them in this experiment. Now, does it get their attention if it disproportionately, I mean, almost everybody they it screwed up on were Democrats? <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't know what that means. Anyway, a lot of the uh, Congress persons who were misidentified have all written to. Uh, Bezos requesting uh, a hearing or a meeting to uh, discuss how to uh, maybe fix this little item in his <laughs> I don't know. I, mean, I, you know I am so sick of Bezos I could I could scream anyway he, he'll he'll own us all before it's over actually not only that, you know what? He'll own us and we'll all have to take his name. How's that? Lynn Bezos. That will be my name. We'll all be named Bezos because, you know, the way most Americans look at, you know, marriage as sort of a transactional thing where the woman literally is subsumed by her uh, husband, um, it seems only fitting and proper, I guess, in this uh, capitalist carnival that we're uh, living in, that uh, since Jeff Bezos is going to own us all lock, stock, and barrel, that we all actually become Bezos, I would think. Anyway, just wanted to point that out to you. It has been noted before that this spatial recognition software uh, misidentifies people of color and women. Because, why is that? Did, don't tell me, did white men create this software? I mean, overwhelmingly, white men, probably. And for some reason, it works for them. Uh, not so much for the rest of us. Yesterday I mentioned to you about this, this young environmental activist who uh, dared to question the, uh, Scott Wagner, the Republican uh, running for governor of Pennsylvania, about his uh, uninformed uh, 
bleatings about uh, climate change and also his taking money from polluters. And she was essentially told to shut up uh, because she was, uh, what, naive? Well, she had said that not only will she not shut up, that, you know, she will continue to fight. And she said that when she gets frustrated, she thinks about that which inspires her, which is the ocean. Her love of the ocean, her fascination with the ocean, and how it needs to be protected. And boy, does it ever. Because somewhere in the last 24 hours, I read about a uh, survey that was done of the ocean, of all the oceans, and how, what percentage of our oceans, Earth's oceans, can be considered wild. In other words, still in the form <laughs> that the ecosystem of them, of that part of the ocean, is as it maybe was 400 years ago, or 300 years ago, or 200. I'm not sure exactly when, but it's down to 13%. Eighty-seven percent of the oceans is no longer what it was meant to be. Um, it is polluted. It is all a result, almost all, well, it is. It's all a result of us, us and the impact, of course, on all the life's, the ecosystems of the oceans is dramatic. And I bring this up because I also read this, and it's not a happy piece. It's about um, orca whales and a specific population of orca whales. If you ever go to, let's say, Washington State, and you go on a whale-watching uh, you know, cruise, uh, used to be that you were assured of seeing whales. That's not true anymore. You go off on one of those and you are told up front, there's no certainty that we will be able to show you whales. And the reason being, of course, is that they're dying out. And the specific population that is off the coast of uh, Washington and uh, and British Columbia is a group of orcas that are called resident killer whales because unlike a lot of other killer whales, they don't move around a lot. They sort of stay uh, in the waters off the coast right there. So they're called resident killer whales, resident orcas. And because they're resident orcas, they have all been identified. Environmentalists literally have numbers for each and every single member of this endangered population. And they are watched. One of the female members, known to environmentalists as J35, was pregnant. It was big news. I mean, everybody was so excited because these whales aren't getting pregnant as much. And when they do get pregnant, they're miscarrying or their babies are dying or are stillborn. And again, it's not clear why, but it's not much of a stretch to assume that whales living so close to us 
are living in a toxic environment. And J35, you know, whales are pregnant for a long time. You think nine months is a, is a slog. Well, try 17, because that is the, roughly the gestation for an orca. So for 17 months, J35 carried her baby, and then she gave birth Tuesday. And it was a girl. The first calf known to be born alive in the last three years to this pod of resident orcas. And so those who watched this pod were overjoyed. For an hour. Her baby was born live, but lived for less than an hour. And losing a female baby is even is the worst possible thing because the breeding age females are aging out. So, I mean, you're not going to have a survival of a species if breeding females are not around. And it's what J35 has done since Tuesday that is breaking the hearts of anybody who has been watching. What happens when a baby whale dies? Well, it sinks to the bottom of the ocean. J35 will not let her baby go. She is carrying it, the body of her baby, on her head. Every time the baby slips off and starts plunging into the ocean, she dives and gets it, pulls it back up. She's continuing to follow her family, her, her pod, carrying that dead baby. She's been up to Vancouver and back down to San Juan Island yesterday afternoon. She's been averaging about 60 to 70 miles per day, all while keeping this 400-pound dead baby afloat. Now, a killer whale biologist says, this is not easy to do, what she's doing. She says, if the baby is sinking, you have to obviously go down. You have to bring it to the surface. You have to hold your breath for as long as you can and then basically dump your baby off your head in order just to take a breath. This is a... Um, biologist who's been observing from a research boat this whole tragic story. But J35, who is, according to the biologist, clearly simply a grieving mother, unable to let this baby go. The biologists think that J35 has not eaten in days, But her behavior is a testament to the incredible maternal bond that exists. And the biologist says this, it is real 
and it is raw. It is obvious what's happening here. You cannot interpret it in any other way. This is an animal that is grieving. And she does not want to let her dead baby go. She is not ready. This kind of grief behavior has been noted before in dolphins and in sperm whales and also in chimpanzees and I would uh, imagine elephants as, as well. Animals that find it very hard to let go. So the for this particular pod of resident killer whales um, uh, this is devastating. They uh, are down to just 75 whales. There were 98 in 95. Since the gestation is uh, 17, 18 months, uh, a female can only give birth every three to five years. And the marine biologists watching this pod say this may be the last generation. Their reproductive life is about 25 years. We've wasted 20 of those having meetings and conference calls and writing reports and wringing our hands. Over the last 20 years, 75% of all of these newborn whales have not survived. Since 2015, no pregnancies have produced viable offspring. And folks, it's us. We have made their environment into a toxic dump. I was listening to NPR yesterday and I heard a report from their travel reporter about how down in Miami they are redoing all of the docking areas for the big cruise ships that come in because the cruise ship companies are making their cruise ships bigger. Bigger. They're monstrosities now. The new ones will carry over 7,000 passengers. You add the crew, and what would it be? Well over 10,000 people on this floating monstrosities that dump their garbage into the ocean, as do all the freighters, as do all... I'm telling you, guys... Okay, the three things that the biologists say are killing these animals are, number one, toxins. That's us. Number two, ship traffic. That's us. And number three, lack of food. That's us. We have destroyed their ecosystem. We have overfished so that there's none left for them. They like Chinook salmon. Lots of luck. And the shortage of food affects their reproductive successes. And they think these babies are dying because the mothers are malnourished. So, if you ever wanted to go whale watching off the uh, coast, you might want to do it tomorrow and maybe hope that you see some of the survivors and, and maybe you'll get to see one of the more heartbreaking things you can see, and that is this mother 
still carrying her dead baby. I'm sorry, I feel like crying. What is wrong with us? Guys. Okay. On the Trump front, uh, a new wrinkle that I noted and I liked, and I'm going to pass it on lest you didn't get it, a guy named Alan Weisselberg, who must be as smarmy and despicable a person as uh, exists because he has not only served Donald Trump in his shady business dealings throughout his career, but in fact was first hired by... Fred Trump. So he's been doing the, he's the CFO of the Trump organization. He knows where the money comes from. He knows where the money goes. This guy knows it all. And the good news is, The Southern District of New York's federal court has subpoenaed him. This is not the Mueller investigation, but this is the same guys that are going after Cohen. And they want to talk to Alan Weisselberg. And it's coming out of the Cohen investigation. And I got to tell you, if they start talking to all these guys, they're either, they're, I mean, the, all these guys are going to have to make a, a decision. Do I go to jail or do I tell the truth? And, come to think of it, if I tell the truth, I might still go to jail. <laughs> Because I will be outing the fact that the Trump organization is essentially a criminal operation. So I'm just saying, Alan Weisselberg. Okay, this a uh, little quickie and trying to make things a little less depressing. Um, parents looking for a way to embarrass their children. <laughs> Actually, parents don't have to look for ways to embarrass their children. We do it. Most of the time, not even a, a trying to do it, right? Just being alive usually is enough to embarrass a, uh, a teenager. Any utterance, any word, any movement, it's like, oh, God. So, front page Wall Street Journal today about the latest way the parents are mortifying their kids. And I pass it on to you because I'm out of it. I, I don't know anything about this. Who knows what floss, the floss is. Amy knows, but you're, yeah, well, you're, yeah, you know the floss. It's not, it's not, yeah, dental floss. It's a dance. It is the latest, I guess, dance craze. Maybe it's been going on forever. Uh, says here Katy Perry does it. It's a big part of a popular video game called Fortnite. And it is described here as involving swinging your hips one direction and your arms in the other, right? And then, I don't know. We got to, I'll look it up later. The floss, ladies and gentlemen. Well, kids love it. Kids are doing it. Apparently, it's not all that easy to do. But a lot of parents see it. 
and they think, hey, actually, one woman quoting the article says, hey, man, I looked at that and I thought, boy, that's a great way to lose some belly fat. <laughs> so they look at it and think, screw Zumba, I'm going to do this, ah, whatever. So there are these very funny reports of at weddings or at something, women of a certain age getting up and trying to do the floss while their children are absolutely mortified. Um, I'll give you some quotes from the children. Here's a 20-year-old art student speaking of his mother. She just got up and started doing it in front of everyone on the street, in the open air. I mean, anyone could have seen her. I was cringing. Okay. So that's the kind. So if you want to get, I might have to work on this because I, I could really do a job on my kid with this. Um, here's another guy. Uh, when his mother broke out the floss at a wedding earlier this month, it did not go over well. Her son said, please, sit down, please. <laughs> what? <laughs> Choreographers, uh, by the way, say that the floss is a derivation of body popping. Jeez. That sure sounds like something I couldn't do. Body popping, but that it's easier, uh, yeah, than body popping. But apparently, uh, I don't know. And here's another kid saying, oh, my God, oh, my God, I can't even describe what I'm witnessing. <laughs> so there, if you want to have some fun this weekend, uh, yeah, Google the floss, and, uh, yeah, maybe we'll... Uh, We'll, we'll try to do something. You know, we've been saying, you gotta, we, we're doing dynamic sitting now. And, uh, and Amy says she's going to share a video of, oh, on a parent's guide. You found a parent's guide on how to do the floss. Thank you very much. That will be on my Facebook uh, page. How to do the floss. We, you know, we, guys, we got to keep up. Might be gray and arthritic, but damn, I like to keep up. I, yeah, I do. And the idea that keeping up, you can embarrass the hell out of your kids, is like, it's too delicious to, uh, you know, to let go. <laughs> okay, I think that's it. Um, and I just want to say this. Picklesburg, I mean, that was last weekend, I guess. If somebody had said to me uh, 10 years ago, I got a great idea. We'll take over one of the bridges and we'll do nothing but have pickles and pickle vendors and pickle this and pickle that and we'll call it Picklesburg and we'll have an entire weekend of it. Won't that be great? And I would, you know, I would say, are you out of your... I've yet to go, but I understand it's so big now that you couldn't even get on the bridge. That the cops had to, like, you know, hold people back. The whole bridge could have gone down. Wouldn't that have been something? Picklesburg, ladies and gentlemen, don't ask. I can't even imagine. There was pickled cotton candy, somebody told me. Uh, I like pickles. But I, I don't quite see doing an entire festival around them and, 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 and having it so well attended that you literally couldn't move. That's amazing. You know, people amaze me. I, I don't get it. I never have. And often I'm amazed and, you know, amused at the same time. And that I, that I like. I like being amazed and amused. I don't like being amazed and freaked out, which happens all too often in these days, but whatever. So uh, I think that's it for me. I'm sorry if I depressed you with the orca story, but, you know, guys, got to own it. Got to, you talk about resistance, we got to 
those of us with any conscience, any sense, any shame. I mean, if I could go over to the other side and become like an octopus or something, I would. I swear to God, I would. Because it's embarrassing to be in our species. We're just extraordinarily destructive. And then if you're white on top of it, and cis, my God, I'm so out of fashion, it's just disgusting. Anyway, have a good weekend, okay? I'm going to try. I'll see you Monday. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.